And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to introduce our topic. If you're watching this on the YouTube, you can see the image on the screen. If you can read, you know the title is Fireside Chat. So uh, we're about to get spooky with it since tis the season and all that and we're going to start by letting our guests in no particular order we're just going to let the, the brady bunch squares dictate uh introduce themselves and what they're known for so griffin barber you get to be first hi i'm griffin barber a, a retired police officer i've uh, written a lot of science fiction uh, mostly uh, alternate history with eric flint uh before he passed uh, peacock throne and before that mission to the Mughals, as well as a couple of other novels uh, uh but primarily Second Chance Angel with Casey Azell and a lot of short stories that I've put out through uh, uh, Bain and through uh, the Grand Folk Gazette as well. I've pretty much written across the genre and I'm excited to be here and talk about horror because I'm a huge horror fan. And for all of Steve's fans, we are sorry, but your liver, you just you might as well just surrender that and order a new one. But uh, next, is, we've got Declan Finn. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, Declan Finn. I've published about 30 books so far, probably going to be 35 by the next few months. Um, I am best known for being a pain in the ass online, but um, also for cr cr cranking out books every three weeks. Uh, right now, my biggest series is the horror, act the action horror, uh, St. Tommy, NYPD, which uh, the last book of which just came out this month, Blue Saint. So outstanding. Yeah. Uh, next, we got the aforementioned Steve Diamond, who who's a horror writer. If you didn't know that, by the way, Steve, <laughs> can you introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hi, uh, I'm Steve Diamond. Like like you know, I'm a horror author. So for all those people out there, take a drink. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I, oh, there we go, Tony. Um, she's doing it the healthy <laughs> way, though. She's doing it with water. Uh, Great. No, it's perfect. <laughs> so, Clear. We don't know it's water. <laughs> uh, yeah, I write fantasy, horror, science fiction. I, I write whatever people want me to write. But uh, I always try to, to inject a little horror in there, make everyone out there a horror reader, one little, uh, one little sentence, one little theme, one little story at a time. Uh, wow. My most recent novel is Servants of War. Come out, came out through Bane with my good buddy Larry Korea. Uh, I refer to it lovingly as a dark fantasy horror novel, and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome. Larry and I had a blast writing it, and uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I write. All right, next we have Miss Tony Weiskopf. Did I pronounce that right? I should have asked in the beginning. I never remember. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so who are you and what are you known for? Uh, I am the publisher of Bane Books, and that's pretty much what I'm known for. Um, I have uh, uh, one book-length writing credit um, to me, and that is for a nonfiction uh, book that I did called Greasy Grammy Gopher, okay. um, which is about uh, the subversive uh, verses that uh, you hear when you're a child and then you forget until 
somebody somebody says something and you get a memory cascade and greasy grimy go for guts um is, is is one that many of us know see you're getting one now aren't you aren't you Paul? Yeah. it's the camp yeah. song come on exactly exactly so much fun um i did that with uh, a pal of mine uh, josepha sherman um over at August House. But mostly what I'm known for is publishing main books, and we publish mostly science fiction and fantasy. Uh, we, do, we do tiptoe over into um, dark fantasy every now and then, as we did with Servants of War. Um, and we're publishing uh, Simon R. Green now, and some of his uh, his uh, dark fantasy um, series as well. I think of them as cozy dark fantasy, which is about my speed. So I, I, won't, okay. say, I won't say horror. <laughs> All right. And then last but not least, we got you, Paul E. Cooley. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? I'm Paul E. Cooley, author of The Black, The Derelict Saga, Station 3, Garaga's Children, a whole bunch of other stuff. I write across uh, suspense, thriller, sci-fi, horror, uh, historical fantasy, and whatever else uh, jumps into my brain. I've been podcasting my novels since 2010. Uh, so shadowpublications.com has been alive and well for a very long time. We're finally rolling out the black re-release. So first book is out. We'll be dropping the, uh, the other first three fairly soon. And then next year, all the new stuff comes out. Outstanding. And uh, he had the best tagline for any horror writer. Nobody promised you happy ending. So that was that was kind of glorious. We I don't wish believe I in happy endings. I wish I had thought of it first, but eh. and uh, and Nick's just here to hold everyone's hands if uh, if they get a little scared. So you know, just send them your emails if you've got questions. You need a little encouragement. Nick will do cry it the ranger way. Yeah, cry harder. You get up. There you go. All right. So now that we've got the cry closet squared away, uh, we're going to start Why this are you off. Hiding? <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna jump right like in. <laughs> exactly and so now we're gonna jump right into the uh the topic of the night which is horror so uh, we'll start with let's see what is, what does everyone think um makes a horror a genre like what what are the defining characteristics of horror well, i, I, I know we'll go broad I think from, uh, you know, American horror and in, in, in fantasy in general, you cannot, you start with H.P. Lovecraft, right? I mean, it's, he, he, he was the one who set the tone for what American horror was going to be. Now, of course, there was horror long, long before Lovecraft, um, but he's the one who, who really sort of set the bar and is still influencing writers today. You know, I've always okay. thought of it as I've always thought of it as fear, dread, and shock. Um, you know, you, you start with the the fear, the thing that the thing that you're scared of. You know, everyone's scared of something, uh, and then the dread when when you feel it closing in on you, when you feel it starting to circle around your feet, and start widening its way up your legs. That's the dread, and then the shock is when is when the moment hits, uh, when the when the when the thing bites you or, or, or when you, you have that sudden realization that you're not alone and that those, those, those three things to me are, are what make horror, uh, what it is. And it's that, that's why, that's the funnest stuff to write for me. That's okay. definitely speaking the camp. <laughs> so, so Declan, what do you think makes horror? It's not sparkle princesses and such. I take it. Uh, <laughs> No, and for the record, uh, vampires only sparkle when they're covered in napalm and ignited. Um, 
trying to remember who I stole that from, if I stole it from anybody, but I know I've used it a few times in my books. Um, now, horror is basically uh, when you're relatively certain, when you have to convince yourself at 3 a.m. that, yes, that's just the house settling, honest it is, uh, that's not something in the house. Uh, oh, good, that shadow really does come from a three-dimensional entity and it didn't just generate on its own. The vague uncertainty at the periphery that makes you go, I did just imagine that, right? And you're not entirely certain of what exactly is going on, and you're not entirely certain of your own senses, where you're uncertain to even trust yourself. Um, and that's part of, well, that's part of what I've tripped over in horror. Granted, I fell into the genre by accident by combining research into serial killers and research into demonology and you know then it's like oops i was writing urban fantasy i think i've written a horror novel oh well <laughs> what can you do <laughs> we can start okay. the debate over what that what what the delineation is between the two that's actually one of the questions we had for later <laughs> later, <'Cause>, later. <laughs> so so uh, griffin what about you well, for me, I kind of differentiate between reading it and writing it. For me, writing it is a way to work through the horrors that I've experienced, uh, okay. things I've seen and, and uh, had done around me and stuff like that, so that I can kind of process some of that uh, uh, into, uh, into prose uh, and uh, work through it, explore it, kind of figure out what made it horrific for me and perhaps uh, you know, give some kind of guideline for somebody else who comes after to to not experience quite it's quite the same way or uh, to maybe deaden some of that uh, uh, shock and, and uh, horror. So you're describing horror as your personal therapy. I, I can dig it. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's, that's why I started writing too. So I can appreciate that. So Nick, I know you write comics. Have you written any horror picture books for us? Is that something um, you, you participate in? I'd say the closest thing that I have to a horror book is Ben um, mainly just because it, it deals with some HP um, Lovecraft old got or uh, the old ones type mythology. Um, you know, before the Big Bane, you know the the creatures that ruled that. It, uh, Bengali derives his power from that. So I've always wanted it to be more like a uh, a horror book, kind of like Spawn, but like Dial to Eleven. Um, and we're getting there. We're we're getting there slowly and surely. Um, we're starting to deal more with the occult, so it's not just a superhero that's, you know, going up against your super villains that are like a Doctor Doom or thing like that. So, like we're we're gonna start dealing with some really heavy stuff. So does horror present the same way when you're doing graphic novels, when you have to actually use pictures to paint the picture as opposed to words? Uh, I think one. I always think that uh, comic book writers have. The, the, deck's already, the deck is already stacked against them anyway, you know, because you can only do so many words. You know, you got captions, you got word balloons. You don't have pages upon pages upon pages that you can really flesh out the world. You got to rely on the artist, and hopefully the artist is worth its salt. Um, but you have to tell a story with those words as well. Um, so I think it, I've read a lot of, I mean, look at The Walking Dead. That's a horror book. You know, uh, Mississippi Zombie by Bradley Golden. Uh, there's a there's some really good horror comics out there that when you read them, and I, I, I'm glad I read them in my 40s, because if I read them when I was a teenager, probably would have scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, I, 
I, I was reading horror comic books when when when, when I was younger. Um, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, what was the one with the witch? It was all part of the same deal. Uh, you had the Crypt Keeper. You Eerie. had the Ghoul. Yeah. Eerie. I remember reading those too, and they used to scare the hell out. Of Right. I mean, and there were, there were, there were weird Westerns too, where, you know, where you had yeah. ghosts and, 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 and uh, was there, there's a, there was a haunted tank too. I think DC, DC had that one. I mean, I mean, that wasn't really horror except where it was you touched on the horrors of war. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're about to um, co-publish the black tide rising graphic novel over <laughs> Bain, um, which is, uh, which is not horror, but is, but it, it is a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Um, and it, it actually goes darker than the books do because you're seeing graphically what the zombies are doing to people, and it's it's horrific. Um, so so I think it's a it's a hard line to to walk when you're doing the uh, the graphic novel um, in, in horror. You you don't want to make it too over the top. The problem is the Washington Park Square scene. This Washington Square Park scene is now current events. Yes. Oh no, 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 no. I mean, we are living in in Ringo's um, zombie apocalypse. This is not a good thing. Um, I'm just hoping that you know we eventually get to the you know the rebuilding society part of it. Uh, <laughs> well, first you have to go through the shooting the zombies in the head part, which right now is kind of illegal. It it, it is allegedly. Allegedly, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think you guys brought up something about. Where, where I think Lovecraft, you know, ties into this, and, and what Declan was talking about too. That, and, and 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 Paul and Stephen, you're talking about that realization that you're not alone, right? And 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 what Lovecraft was talking about was this cosmic horror. It's like we're not alone in the universe, and this is bad, right? Yeah. Well, it's more on lines. It's more on lines of everything you know is at risk. Everything that you've you've made your I mean, what if you woke up one day and gravity was upside down? Oh, and so cool! No, it would not be cool at all. <laughs> no, I, I'm rolling the dice on this one. I think it'd be pretty awesome. Unless you consider <laughs> the biological effects as well as just where you stand, like your blood pumping differently, like all those kinds of things that may flip it. What happens if it turns sideways? And you're stuck on that sideways. You have to. My my point is that it is the uncanny. It is knowing all of these laws that we have based our lives around, that we know, that we have seen, that we've heard, that we that we've experienced, we've touched and felt. Taking all of those things and skewing them, using them against the character, using them against the, the person. It's not that right. the dark is scary. It's the absence. It is the unknown that is in there, and that well, for some reason. Darkness always promises creation. Light always promises death because light can't do anything but dim until it goes to the darkness. So that's kind of the well, way I, I think about it. it. That's a very elaborate way of um, touching on what Romero said about horror is disrupting the apple cart. Yeah, it, it's throwing everything. It's throwing everything off. It, it is basically you take all these core all these kinds of fears that we experience every day, like being crushed in a crowd that of zombie. If you look at a zombie horde, what is that? I mean, it's a mosh pit. Be, at, uh, it's a mosh pit. It's basically getting crushed <laughs> to death. That's exactly what it is. That's what those hordes are. Get it's claustrophobic, getting stuffed into an elevator, you know, having, having a bunch of zombies outside a closed space. Those things do that to us because we all have had the feeling of being trapped. They all have to do with the feeling of of not knowing this person who's too close to me. Mm. 
it's all about yeah. that. And it's also all the other things that we were told as children that we've seen in movies that we've, that we've read in books, everything that we've experienced, all of that can be used against you. And I think you destroyed my first marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're definitely a horror writer. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, eventually, I mean, I got a whole bunch of people here to learn from. So you were going to say, Tony? No, I just am saying that went dark very fast. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the dark part. That was the dark part. I think that's what makes horror actually work across genres because I and we've we've had this conversation ad mm -hmm. nauseum on, on DRS. Um, horror is not itself a genre any more than uh, suspense is a genre, any more than thriller is a real genre. Those are all facets of genres. They all get stapled together. And you want to muddy, muddy the, the, the lines even further? Look at Star Wars. It's science fiction fantasy. Okay, which is it? No, it's, it's neither. <laughs> it's its own thing. It's both and neither at the same time. It's both and neither. It's science at the same fantasy. Time. It's, well, it's, 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 it's space fantasy, which has been around for a very long time, right? And absolutely. Then, but it's fun. not. It's, it's, when you call it space fantasy, you ask people it's science fiction. Where do you put horror in that? Where do you consider uh, something like Hell House versus a zombie flick? One is all gore. One is all uh, terrible and violent. There's subgenres sub within horror as well. So I mean, I, yeah, but see, I don't think that's the answer to it. Go look at go to the bookstore and look at the horror shelf and look look, look what's on there. Five Stephen King books and nothing else. Which which bookstore oh. should I go to since they're Maybe well, last time I was in the shithole that used to be known as Barnes and Noble, they actually did have a horror shelf that would. Yeah. That's about all it had. That's that's. But, but the but, the the thought of you know to it, I believe that there are such a, there is such a thing as genre. You can have something that's horror, but within that, you're going to have to have uh, you you will often have excuse me, not have to, but you will often have elements of other things going on. Especially because yeah. you, know, you can have body horror without anything other than somebody who's mentally ill murdering somebody uh, in a umbrella. stunning way. So, and that is not something you're going to find otherwhere elsewhere, except for maybe true crime. Uh, you know, you're yeah. You're but see, here we go again. We get into suspense thrillers. We get it. Where where does uh, where does Hannibal Lecter fit in that? Well, he's a fictional character, so again, it's you know, it's not not only psychological but also. Uh, the body horror because he's the things he does, the cannibalism, etc. I had somebody tell me, Oh, no, no, Silence of the Lambs, it's a thriller, it's not horror. You know, they knew that I did not like to see horror movies. You can go see it, it's pretty good. <laughs> this sounds what? like something I would do. I don't consider it horror. <laughs> well, you, are, so, you don't, but I had to go yeah. see another shitty movie before I could go home. <laughs> <laughs> What you're saying is you were forced to watch something that wasn't your taste. And see, that yeah, all goes back to what I was getting at, which is which is the marketing aspect. Because you have the crosses that go back and forth. See, I I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I think that in, in some ways you're right, right? Horror is a technique that you can apply in, in, in many genres, right? But it's also its own genre, right? And genre, all genre is, is a set of expectations that you raise in the reader, in the right? Reader. And, and so, so when you label something horror, when you got that black cover with the drippy, you know, with, with the drippy type on it, it it it, let, it it tells you that the reader is in for this particular kind of experience, right? Where nobody promised you a happy ending. <laughs> um, 
So, but Paul is going to that massage parlor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't run massage parlors, bro. So, (laughs) by that definition, because the the body horror would count, would you guys consider something like Kafka's Metamorphosis then to be a horror story? Yeah. Can be. Not. Come on. Not not low enough read. I don't know. (laughs) I thought everyone in English class had to read that. It has that that change. It has that, you know, that that sudden weird, weird something, something weird happens that's contrary to everything that we know. And then bad shit happens. After Gregor wakes up as a cockroach. (laughs) What are you going to do? It happens. I I mean, you know, you don't have to complain about it for 90 pages. You know, some of the some of the interesting <laughs> things about some of the interesting things about horror is that and, and we're starting to delve into this and that's the subjectivity of it. And that's that what what some people would consider horror, others people other people wouldn't. Correct. You know, I, I get this question all the time when someone comes up and they, you know, I'm I'm selling a show or whatever and they say they say, Oh, well, what do you write? And my first response is not, Well, I write horror. No, my first response is, Well, what do you like to read? Do you like supernaturally stuff? And if they say yes, I say, oh, what, what do, you, do you like horror type stuff? If they say yes, then I say, well, that's great. I write horror. If they say no, I say, well, I mean, So you're telling us you're I, lifting your skirt slowly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I say, I write supernatural thrillers, of course. Of course. Um, and, and for a lot of people, just simply saying that is enough to, cha- to, to change what, what they're perceiving in their mind, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. It's wordplay. And even though the content of my book doesn't change, there are there are tons of readers out there who will say, "Oh well, yeah, Steve, Steve writes Steve writes a horror novel. That that's what Residue is. It's a horror novel." But then you'll have an equal number of people who, you know, in the very next review will say, "Oh, yeah, this this wasn't near scary. This isn't this isn't truly a horror novel." And that's because well, it's, it's so subjective. That's one of the things too, though, is that we you know we can confuse horror with scary. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that's that's also an you know the jump scare is not necessarily in, you know intrinsic to the, or the only the place of horror it's also you know somebody getting zapped when they you didn't expect that that hero to get zapped uh the departed is a great example of that in film oh, you know like what? everybody oh, everybody spoiler alert for you holes who haven't dude. haven't watched no. that in 20 years you nailed it with that like when that scene happened the elevator door app opened up and i was like all right, cool, man. This guy's finally gonna. No, what? No, no, no. You changed that. Was your response horror or was it shock? Or was it it's the shock? Surprise. It both. Because I was emotionally invested in that character. Yeah, it's the tragic right. loss. It's the tragic loss, and I think that's an element of horror. Is because if you're doing horror right, yeah, you, you give a shit. yeah, you give a shit, and that's how I write comic books. Like, and that's how I judge comic. Books. Right. Why do I care about this dude or dudette? I'm from California. It's gender neutral. Why do I care about these people? And if I care about them, then with the bad stuff that happens to them affects me personally because I have a emotional vested interest in this character. And I want to see him succeed. So when stuff like that happened in the department, I'm like, well, then someone's need, someone needs to go for that. Right. You know, someone needs to be avenged here. I'm like, form a team. So, so question: Does horror have to be a tragedy? I'm sorry. Does what? Have what? Does horror have to be a tragedy? No, I don't think no. so. No, I don't think so. But it definitely helps. 
I, I, certainly the slasher movies, it's always a tragedy. Oh, they can always do the smart thing, and they always choose the stupid thing to do. Slasher <laughs> movies are the reason why you That's say comedy, horror, and tragedy. 90% of people who don't like horror get turned off, because yeah. all they do is they think yeah. about chainsaws and knives yes. and horror. Just and stupid teenage it. protagonists. Well, that too. <laughs> it's like, as hey, one of the best lines about, just to sum up Stephen King, was a line from Larry Correa, where if he had written Cujo, it would be a five-page short story. Three of those pages would be a debate about what caliber to use on the bloody dog. <laughs> that is a good question, though. There we go. But like, killing the dog is always sad, right? So this is... And you can't you can't so when it's rabbit, you just shoot the damn thing. You also can't do that in the first five pages of any book because you, you get and all the pita nuts will all, be all over you. Tell it to John Wick franchise. <laughs> I think if it's rabid, they might give they might give that up. Uh, but it, would you discover that it was rabid in the first five? I guess. Yeah, you so, kind of know. I, I like King personally. I think his short fiction is so much head and shoulders above any of his longer longer form. Oh, yeah, uh, and certainly it's the short fiction is like it's not an entirely different level than anything that's been made into a movie by him. Um, All right. Well, we're going to take a moment because uh, I promised this them I'd keep this at an hour. So we're at that point where I pause for a second and shamelessly shill for the man. 35 awesome stories started by one kick-ass meme. It started as a joke. Storm Area 51, they said. They can't stop all of us, they said. But all laughter has stopped when the U.S. Air Force mobilized and pulled out the big guns. However... Relentless mockery and derision by the media and the powers that be pushed the dweebs and alien enthusiasts too far. What else were they supposed to do? They said why not and showed up, determined to find out what secrets were hidden behind the walls of the clandestine government facility. Are you brave enough to buy this anthology today? If you are, find out what the government wants to keep hidden. Read Storming Area 51, a Bayonet Books anthology. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that brief commercial interlude. Uh, Nick was excellently expedient in his refilling of the beverages. I'm sure it's healthy and water. His doctor, if you're watching, like it's water. Whatever. But so we were talking about what makes it horror, and I'm not widely read in horror, so I appreciate you guys making my job really easy where I could just mute and listen to you guys go back and forth. It was totally enjoyable. But something Declan said earlier during the introduction about what is horror. So I was wondering if you guys think that, is there a difference between horror and psychological thriller? And we will start off with you, Declan, since you brought it up earlier. That's a good question and I have no idea. No, um, no there's a lot of overlap, obviously. You could say that Silence of the Lambs was psychological thriller because Seriously, what's what is so scary about you know Anthony Hopkins in a glass cage, right? But no, he pulled it off, and let's face it, it just was that creepy. But then again, in the film, most of that was his acting. In the book, in the book, a lot of that was the psychological profiling stuff done by Thomas Harris, and he's one of the few people the. Uh, FBI serial killer folk has said, oh yeah, he actually showed up to the lectures and he took notes and he asked questions. So it's going to be depend a lot on are you focusing on the movie where the creepy part was mostly Anthony Hopkins um, 
and the lighting director, where his eyes were either glowing, glowing, or they were dark wells of endless, you know, despair. You know, yes, he was a Lovecraft character. Um, or is the creepy part, um, you know, they're, uh, what, six foot five inch actor Ted Levine wearing human skin and thinking he was Ed Gein. Sorry. Go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'll yeah. recreate that scene right here for our audience. Oh no, no, that's okay, man. No thanks. Okay. Uh, but you know, let's, it, but let's get up pretty horses here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it really depends on which one you're talking about, book or movie. And with the movie, it was all all down to the actors. Uh, most Ted Levine. I really hope I'm getting his name right. Where again, it's like. He's six foot five and kind of creepy. Uh, you know. Okay, so should I just does, keep talking? Uh, well, I, I, that's a good point to, to ask if anyone else has opinions on uh, psychological thriller versus horror. Uh, Steve, you've been mostly quiet today, so I know you can talk. I listen to your podcast, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you weigh in. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. I think that's that's probably the best way to say it. Like. Hmm. They can, uh, they're, they're friends with benefits. Does that help? Uh, <laughs> it's overlap. You know? So, you know, those, they, they can obviously go together. I mean, anyone who's, anyone who's watched Alfred Hitchcock knows that the, that those two things go together. I mean, um, you know, I, one, one of my favorite horror movies ever, and I call it a horror movie because of the, the contextual horror with, that's within it is rear window. Um, you know, okay. most people most people look at that and, and they just think they just think of Jimmy Stewart and um, and Dor Doris Day, right? Um, mm -hmm. Grace you know, Kelly, Grace Kelly, you're right. Thank you. Um, so they just think of of Jimmy Stewart in his in his like leg cast taking you know pictures and being a spy you know spying across the room. Boy, um, but the, yeah, but but there are moments in that film where it's purely psychological for him. Um, I think of the the main shot that I always talk about is when is when uh, his girlfriend is across the road or across <laughs> the, the the courtyard, and the way the scene is, is is shot is that there's a window, and then there's a big block of dead space that you can't see through, and then a window, right? And you see her going through room by room, piece by piece of the room, and then uh, and then the bad guy comes home, right? And so Jimmy Stewart is just sitting there. He's just sitting there. He can't do anything. One, he can't call the cops. He can't get out of his chair. It's not like they have cell phones. He can't. He can't go over there. Um, he doesn't have any guns. So you know, you know, he, there's nothing he can do about that. And and there's these moments where it, it it's this very close up shot on his face, and you see the stark terror. You see the stark fear. The dread. You see all of that within his face. And and if you look at that scene and you can't say that that's psychological horror, then then I don't I, I don't know what you're watching. Um, and 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 that's the reason why I love I love a lot of these things. It's because you can take any of these elements that you want and you can inject them into anything. You know, that idea, that stark terror that he was feeling. Um, you can inject that into into any fantasy story. You can inject into any science fiction story. Heavens, heaven knows we've we've all probably done that, right? 
um, you know, you can put it into any comic book. doesn't matter. Like you put that into anything that you want. And, and like, I, like I always say that horror is like bacon. It just makes everything better. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, or jalapenos, whatever. I mean, I don't judge. Or put so, them together. Uh, exactly. So, you know, these are just tools in the tool belt and, and they exist for you to have fun with. Right. Um, if you're not having fun when you're when you're writing some of this stuff, yeah, some of it, you know, as Griff mentioned earlier, and I've certainly been there before, some of it is therapy, right? Some of it is working through your own issues and, and, and stuff that you've seen. But at a certain point, like, you're writing this because you enjoy writing it. You're writing it because, uh, look, I mean, I was I was I was going through my short story collection when I was doing the edits and I realized like of the 15 stories, I think there were like six torture scenes in it. I'm like, good grief. What am I doing? And then I thought, well, write what you know. <laughs> well, and that, that's the thing too, is that, you know, I wouldn't be doing this, this as therapy if it wasn't fun and effective. That's the key is, is that it's, yeah. it allows you to, I mean, I, I took a page for really what I started doing it was uh, talking to David Drake because you know, David Drake, they, you know, military science fiction, all yada, yada, yada. No, David Drake never stopped writing horror. He just changed milieu and explored the experiences that he had in Vietnam. And if you read through bail fires that, uh, that Bain put out uh, and uh, what's the other demons. And I can't remember the older one. Um, night, night and demons. I think it is. Night and demons. Yeah. yeah. If you read through those, you're like, Oh, yeah, this guy is an accomplished horror writer, you know, and was selling him to August Durleth at, at Arkham House back in 67, you know, all the way through. Uh, but, and he was, you know, after uh, his experiences in Vietnam, he said he just experienced, you know, was trying to get that stuff out. Uh, but in order to find a, a, a commercial success, he decided because the, the, he was going to go, or uh, actually, I think Jim convinced him to go uh, and do something more military SF than, than anything else. Yeah, military SF was not a commercial decision back when he was doing it. <laughs> it was an it was an anti-commercial decision. Um, right. it, it wasn't it, it wasn't until um, uh, Jim put the books out at, at Ace that that suddenly it actually military science fiction became a genre. Right. Um, but I, I think talking about it as a, as a tool, right? As an editor, I'm looking for something that's going to bring a reaction to the reader, right? That, that, that's going to get a, a visceral reaction, whether that's of joy or discovery or satisfaction um, and, and horror, if you can pull it off. And I think it's very, very hard to pull off, right? It, it's hard to make it not campy. It's hard to make it actually scary, right? Um if you can pull it off, then you get that gut punch to the reader that you want in an effective piece of fiction. It's very similar to comedy because it involves timing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jordan Peele is so successful as a comedian and as a horror director. And he said it best. Um, I watch a lot of horror and I have to double down during spooky season. Like we were having an argument, like, what do we watch tonight? Like, God dang, we've seen everything. What else is out there? So with Shutter and Hulu and all the other streaming services, like we're we're deep diving. But I digress. So what Jordan Peele had said, the difference between horror and psychological thriller was budget. 
I don't really. <laughs> and I laughed okay. at first. So I'm like, well, yeah, because there's movies that are considered horror. Like I consider Silence of the Lambs horror. You know, it has many horror elements. It ha had many visceral reactions from like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. You know, when um, Lecter takes out the uh, the guards while he's getting a meal, you know, he was, it was very violent. It was very grotesque what he did. And I remember seeing that as a young adult going, holy crap. It's when I realized that human beings are the scariest thing you're ever going to run into. Especially ones that don't have any facial expressions while they're doing it. Yeah, and he's cold, he's callous, he's calculated, he's intelligent, he's which, an artist. Which is exactly why Jason and Michael remain iconic to a certain degree, because they're faceless. Although I would I would argue that Michael is much more terrifying than Jason. Um, I would agree, because he's human. He's not zombified or anything Well, like I don't know if I would call it human if we go back to the shape, but still. Human-esque. Yeah, we'll go we'll the category human-esque. But he's more likely to set a trap for you than Jason, who's just likely to chase you with a freaking chainsaw, which I always found really annoying. Right. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, fun. Halloween could be a decent franchise if they do it right. Friday the 13th will never be a decent franchise. It's irredeemable. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> but yeah, it fun. can be fun. When you're talking well, about camp, when you're talking about camp and you're talking about budget, uh, the reason why found footage films really find their way into horror so much is because found footage and horror are matches made in heaven because you can do micro budget stuff and make it scary as hell or campy and buckets of blood, whatever you want to do there. You don't have to have, you know, this this massive production to make it happen. You look at a movie like Oculus or um, uh, Blair Witch, that, that played right into my like my imagination and they exactly. were shit. Exactly. You you, the hell out of yeah, you start you start Lord. wondering about reality because you're hearing things that aren't there. You're seeing things in a mirror that aren't there, are they? A shadow that's cast naturally from a tree outside. And I'm like, oh my god, what is that? Am I next? Is Blair Witch going to get me? <laughs> exactly, and that and that 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 captures the entire essence of the psychological aspects to that is playing with that. You and, and more... that's, that's the thing I love the most about playing with it. One of the coolest things to me about about horror is it, it just as uh, you know we're, we're talking a lot about film, but one of the best horror movies ever also spawned the probably the best science fiction, uh, military science fiction movie ever, which is Alien and then Aliens. Yeah, I mean, it, it, both and both of them have their elements of horror, but that first one is an amazing locker room horror, body horror. It's uh, a slasher alien. flick. I hate to tell you, it's a slasher flick. Okay. Aliens is alien is a it's tension, it's suspense, it's I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm simply saying it is a slasher fit. Oh, it's totally a slasher. <laughs> the xenomorph is a slasher. That's his whole deal. Same with Predator. It's a right. slasher. But I'm I'm saying if you go back and you look it's, at the amount of gore. I'm sorry, but no, else, it's it's a lot worse than close. it's a lot worse than a slasher movie because he disappears them. And as we yeah, eventually well, find yes. out, as we eventually find out in the later film. The second second film, he's taking them, or it, it is taking the drone is taking them in order to impregnate them with other stuff. That is not slasher. That is straight up awesome body horror. And that, yeah, is cool. the, uh, the scariest and, part of that is the loss of loss of agency of yourself. Yes. Yeah. And and, 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 and I, I think that's the most terrifying horror aspect. Like one of my all of my favorite films, like um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, is losing agency losing control of yourself not having control of your own body 
when you look at any when you look at any like monster film though here's the way i've always looked at it you know whether we're talking about zombies or vampirism or werewolves or any of the other fun stuff um i always look at monsters as a dirty mirror so yeah. you hold up that mirror to to yourself and, and it's and it's this is what i am without control without agency without xyz and that's what you end up with and, and that's why that's why so many things you know like like zombie that's why zombies to a certain degree still work that's why vampires can still work that's why werewolves can still work that's why all of these things can still work and it's because of it's it's what happens what happens when me as a human when i lose all of that right yeah. what happens when i lose all of that and and i think the difference between horror and, and and psychological fantasy is that in horror we get to pretend that it's not humans right that the the the, the, the fantasy element is it takes it outside of humanity right it's something it's not humanity that's doing 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 this to us we we get to pretend for a little while that humans aren't the scariest thing that we're going to encounter <laughs> But yeah, and and I mean, my, my favorite piece of short, kind of sort of short fiction ever is I Am Legend. Right. right? Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. pieces. I mean, it's, frankly, I love it's the book. Favorite, the book. Yeah. We're not. We're not going to yeah. talk about the movies. We're, we're just oh going to pretend but, that doesn't exist. I read the book and like. Come on, come on. Son. I was like, we're, yeah, not, we're, we're just going to pretend. Come on, you can yeah. at least you can at least give a nod to the Vincent Price version, just a small. Yeah. Okay. I'll give. Okay. I'll give I'll make an answer closest film version of i am legend it's the closest but, you know the, the whole point of that of that story is is that tony it's it's who is the monster yeah yeah it, know, it, and, have, any, have any of you guys read darker than you think by jack williamson no but i'm putting on the list now oh you should you should i got an editor telling me i should read this yeah i mean you you associate williamson with with hopeful science fiction and space opera and uh, you know his incredibly long career, but darker than you think is, it's it's darker than you think. <laughs> so, it's in the title. That is the title. Yes. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, are you? Do you think that there are any specific tropes that have to be in there for it to qualify as horror, or is it just, as you discussed earlier, almost like the the ambiance of the story? I, I think it's got to evoke in that reader that that. Uh, that frisson, right? That 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 freaky hormonal reaction <laughs> that that you get to fear. But do you, do you agree with that, Paul? Is that is is that what makes it for you? Uh, it's so it, it just so depends. I mean, how how do you how do you deal with like a horror comedy? You can write a really horrific short story that has a lot of really funny beats, even though really horrible things are happening. <laughs> and that that's another element. You talked about horror and comedy being related. I think they're integral. They're just integral to one another. Well, um, I mean, anybody who's been on a, a horrible crime scene or been in a, been ambushed or you know suffered an IED, they know that the only way to deal with the horror is to fucking laugh about it. Yeah. Ever been in the gallows humor um yeah doesn't exactly. really sit well in the civilian world that i found out <laughs> but um, <laughs> horrible shit has happened to me on on the civilian side too being being in law enforcement and um the younger guys don't get it yet especially if they've never like been deployed been overseas things like that but the older guys we're we're having a riot 
because that's how we're dealing with this horrible thing presented before us. It's like, well, uh, let's let's crack a joke and have a beer. And like, what the hell? This is so serious. I'm like, is it though? I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. But, I mean, is it not entirely horrible, the situation? <laughs> I, I grew up in Brooklyn, right? So, I mean, it's essentially the same thing, right? If you read Tim yeah. O'Brien's The Things They Carry, there's a, uh, one of his essays in there, I think it's called Spin. Um, yeah. He talks about all that they were just a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds and were stupid did stupid shit, thought stupid shit, and did horrible stupid shit. And the fact was, is that at all times, it, they had this milieu of uh, unreality, all of it, because we're just a bunch of dumb kids. Guy goes up, blows up a puppy dog for fun. Meh, who's going to do it to me? They sent me over here to die. Why not that? There's a certain kind of, of logic to it all that only makes sense in the moment. And that's why you have to bring, if you're talking about that kind of stuff, that's why you have to bring the audience along with you, the audience of the readers along with you into that for them to get it. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, it just sounds like a bunch of insensitive jackasses. You know, you have to have some of that go through. And that also works very well with the horror element. You are basically you know, bringing these people along for the ride. And I think that's, that's what makes just sense. That in, in a Bane book, the person who blew up the dog is the bad guy. Always. You don't mess with dogs. You don't do in, that. In this, in this case, it was, if you haven't read the things they carried, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Oh, that, yeah. That makes well, it better, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I know. Then it goes double. If I can kind of throw in something here is, is, is what about when the, perpetrator of your horror is your protagonist your main character and making them likable now we're uh, now we're talking dexter <laughs> dexter is a really cool example of that uh, oh god yes well, that's the just book. the nature of the anti-hero though the anti-hero can do can do damn near anything uh look at the kind of stuff that black adam does in the comics you look at the kind of stuff that uh uh characters you're talking about like Punisher. dexter or somebody like that you, you go, or or spawn or any of those um, they're all anti-heroes yeah. to a degree they will do what we would consider uh with our our logical rational minds to be absolute ludicrous heinous crimes that some of these people are committing and, Tuesday. and part of that entire thing is is the uh, um means to an end or end to a means that's yeah. that's what makes the anti-hero so so interesting especially when they're not just going out of their way to make trouble, they're getting dragged along and they're making trouble because they're being dragged along. <laughs> and that, that's also to try and make them likable is what I was kind of driving at. Was yeah. And you, and you have to have humor. them do stupid stuff and stupid ticks that can't all be. Arr, arr, and you well, just going back to going back to the departed. Uh, yeah. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> she fell funny. <laughs> And I, apparently that was that totally like he had said that he was going to do that beforehand. And it's like, you just keep the film rolling and I'll do Yeah, he this. did several, several yeah, takes. And he just that. kept doing it. And they're, they're like, oh, my God. Because <laughs> everybody's kind of horrified that here. Jack, Jack, I think you're a little too much into your character. <laughs> well, that's every movie with him, though, isn't it? Yeah. Does Jack Nicholson act anymore? No, he has never acted. He's always been Jack Nicholson reads this character. Jack Nicholson does yeah. this character. That's who he is. It's kind, of, it's kind of like Nick Cage. Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we talked about, I mean, we were talking about Hannibal Lecter earlier. The TV show Hannibal, right? 
Ooh. Did you guys did you guys see that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so the scene it's in season 2, I think. So so much of it is is from from Hannibal's POV, right? Yeah. And there's the scene where he decides to throw a dinner party. So he has to go through through he's going through his Rolodex. He's like, da, 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 da. Who, who should I invite? Who should I bring? Except for that's the Rolodex for the ingredients. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. And so he, you're pulling it out. And as you're, as you're watching it, maybe this says more about me than, than anyone else. But I just start laughing. I'm like, this is hilarious. <laughs> um, There's a lot of dark humor in that show. Because it's, yeah. so, it's yeah. so in character, right? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's so in character. Well, it makes sense. But he's the villain. There's no, I mean, there's no question. He's the villain. Yeah, and there's no, there's also like no horror in, in, in the mundanity of it. Well, you know, my, it's my, just my, absolute mundane, you know. But my, my, my understanding, though, is that, is that I saw it one, one, at one remove. My, my husband watched it, so I didn't have to. So <laughs> I, got, I got the <laughs> It's about as close as I wanted to get. It, it, but, but that he was... Uh, the part of what he was doing was revenge, right? He was getting the people who had tortured and and killed his family, and so that you know, that when you're making the anti-hero um, uh, likable, part of what you're doing is giving yourself a powerful revenge tool, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Dexter or, or the Punisher or, or you know or, or what have you. And they're allowed to go to extremes that that you are not allowed to. And we allow them to do that yeah. as we watch. Yeah. Because when have we not ever just thought, like, man, I wish I could do this. I wish yeah. I could do that, guys. So I'm not interested in meeting too many people. So, allegedly. <laughs> I have, I, I, alleged, that, one of my favorite shows is Letterkenny, so I'm going to go with allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. So we've talked a little bit around circles and the the conclusion I've come to about what is horror is it's whatever you want it and need it to be. And then everyone can argue about it ad nauseum. And that's part of the fun of, of the thing. It's Um, like porn. You know it when you see it. That's exactly what I was going to say a little while ago, but I was afraid to do that because I figured everybody pile on top of me and say that was cheap. So you know what? I pile on top of you. you. All right. Well, I chose that word too. I figured it would get a response. Uh, Maybe not the one you were looking for. What are you doing later? I don't Um, want to know what's going on beneath the camera there, Bubba. This is is clear. That's actually from a Supreme Court decision. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I remember. I was alive and actually aware of what the SCOTUS was doing at that point. So what do you think as we start, you know, looking to wrap this up, what do you think it is about the genre of horror, whatever that means to you, that makes it so popular? It's almost one of the oldest methods of telling stories. Since there were campfires and proto-humans sitting around them, they told scary stories. So what is it that makes it so intrinsic in, in the human, the homo sapien sapien makeup? Adrenaline hit. You don't get it in your standard, you don't get it in your day-to-day life unless you're, you know, getting shot at on a regular basis. If, you know, most civilians, what do they face? And, you know, fine, I go outside my door, I live in New York, I carry weapons that I'm technically not allowed to because I've got my own adrenaline hits. Allegedly. Normal people, sorry, normal people, uh, don't have that. So, horror movies. 
Yeah, I mean, you step out onto a subway platform, you're taking your life into your hands. Um, shouldn't have to be that. Or way. someone else's. Looks like you're singing. I'm your pusher. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, all right. So, so we're dealing dealing with dealing with the horrors of reality, right? We, you know, we, we we take it into ourselves, and we take it, and we fictionalize it, and we try to deal with with the the horror that we see over and over and over again. Um, and then that's you know that, that that's why I think we have a horror, horror genre. That's why it's it goes back so far. Um, also, the adrenaline rush. That's yeah. <laughs> Every time you kill a monster, you're killing part of your fear. And I think every time that you bring a character to victory over, well, even if it's Pyrrhic, victory over one of those types of obstacles, it's almost like you're getting that way. You're, you're getting over that hill, too. And horror provides a way for you to make the stakes so abysmally high and yet so personal. It's what a, a new, a, the threat of an atomic bomb can't do anything to me because there's nothing I can do about it. If there's something in the darkness that I can't see and I'm alone and I'm trapped in the house, there's, not, there's nothing else I can do but try and deal with it. I'm forced to deal with it. That's the horror of the situation. There's no help. And I think that that's part of, of getting into that is, does it hit you and give you those goosebumps? Do you have that visceral reaction where you can put yourself in that character's shoes and go, oh, shit, and try and figure out whether or not you'd even be able to move, let alone the yeah. character. Jaws is scarier than, you know, Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> yes. Kept me out yes. of the water until I was like 18. <laughs> I know some uh, people who still won't go in the water after this song. <laughs> I, I, I know people who made me a scout swimmer on a Zodiac team. Make sure I was out in the water every chance they got. <laughs> so what is it that makes, speaking of Jaws, it's an iconic movie that still people talk about all those years <clears throat> later. Uh, what is it that makes some properties stick around in the cultural zeitgeist while others just fade away into obscurity and no one's ever heard of them? Continuous fear. Yeah, the, the, the yeah, commonality. The fear you can't get over. It's we don't have saber tooth tigers anymore. Kind of also want to combine the last two questions. So for me, it's transgressive. It allows us to watch a horrible transgression uh, against somebody or against societal rules. It allows us to witness that without harm, mm. and that's huge for us. Our ability to explore what must what might that be like for my buddy who was blown up several times in IED explosions. What must that be like for someone whose uh, parents were killed when they were little and they witnessed it? What must that be like? It allows us to uh, explore this transgressive material that is inherently wrong if it were to actually happen without harm. Uh, and I think that is just an enormous tool for anybody uh, and, and including myself, but anybody who wants to try and figure out what it's like to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. So, in, a, in a safe environment. Which is and what safe. continues to, to work, Jaws, Alien, uh, these other films in the rearview mirror, it's because they continue to be transgressions or and scary uh, to this day because of it's, we're still lizard brain wired to kind of feel these ways, this way about things. It's the it's the for me it's the primal nature of it, like, you know, uh, you know if, if I say oh well I'm I'm scared of 
fall leaves. I don't know. I'm scared of something really like very, 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 very targeted and specific. That might have that might have a flash for for a very specific group. But things that are more yeah. primal, those those things have a longer relevancy, I think. It's the spiders uh, hiding in the falling leaves. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, you know the it's idea. Of, you know, you you're, you're sticking your hand into in into the into the hole. Oh, right? stop it! You know, it's the it. It, it's the you're you're swimming and it's the you're swimming in the water in the ocean and you you know Can't your visibility is only fifteen feet down, but yeah. the ocean is a hundred feet. Um, you know, these are these are these are the things that I worry about. Um, the, yeah, you know, or 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 it's or it's it's even more prevalent than that. It's it's loss. It's it's the loss of family. Uh, it's the loss of, of uh, like we've said before, control. Um, when you start dealing with those very basic things, and if you can integrate those into your stories, they have a much higher chance of resonating one with a far broader audience, with with much more people. Um, I mean, look, we're all we're all here sitting here. We're all agreeing that Jaws. That's a big nope. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big nope. <laughs> yep. Uh, nope. And, any and, flu, any film that actually influenced the 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 public to go out and murder a whole species <laughs> is, is pretty damn scary. They, they murder us back, okay? <laughs> See, I saw I'm a shark the, at work. I'm not the only one who was on the boat. Pulled my service weapon. No joke. <laughs> I've, I've swam with sharks. Y'all are a bunch of wusses. <laughs> you shut your mouth. They, 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 so, they're just saving you for last. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will you're, say it was not flavor. intentional, but <laughs> I swam with sharks. So, so and you did mention what kind of shark it was. Like uh, one was shark. a tiger and three were nurses. So I will see uh, your shark. No that tiger, though, was sizing you up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I was a little smaller at that time, he would have uh, taken a chop. But, he's uh, like, mm, so, Paul's looking good. I hope he's, he's going to be as good as his work. That's right. Mm. This was so Paul, yeah, this is a long time ago. Get some so Paul, books out here. I want to eat him with those. <laughs> so, Paul, what is it that makes something stick in your mind for for horror that that makes it last in the in the zeitgeist? I think part of it is when you're first exposed to it, but I think it's also there's a um, we have a feedback loop now, big time feedback loop. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I could throw a rock and it could hit a horror fan and knows what the thing is. I can throw a rock and hit a lot of people or Gen X who know what the thing is. What's scary is their kids know more about the thing than they do because it's one of the, it's I like when we that. were kids, My we kids saw, uh, during the seventies and eighties, all the black and white movies from the fifties and sixties, every Saturday, you know, for a stretch from one to six, you got this, you got the main line, all the B movies from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. This is the same thing. But those those films, space. those films in particular have a striking perfection to them. The thing hits all the beats, every single one of them. You've got isolation, you've got paranoia, you've got the uncanny, you've got the unknown, and you've got, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here while reality's crashing around you. And then when you've got Alien, you've, you've got exactly the same kind when we were talking about earlier. It's like the first science fiction horror slasher. But it's iconic because of the setting. It's iconic because of the of the of the uh, of every little beat that is in there. It all fits together. We care for the characters, and then we get to watch them get killed one at a time. 
that's what makes it work because you give a shit. And that's it right there. That's and now we'll the, I give a shit factor. Yeah. So so now uh, it's time to see if Declan and Tony can top that because that was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just like, no, that, that you nailed it. <laughs> all right. So uh, as we wrap this up, I've got one quick question for the road, and you can tell me either as a movie, a book, a comic, I don't care what format, but what is your favorite horror franchise of all time, f product, franchise, whatever, and why? We're going to start with you, Griff. Uh, well, I'm going to go with two answers. One for film, and that's uh, uh, Alien, uh, and uh, one for books, and that's, uh, uh, I can't remember if it's The Red Lear or A Red Lear by David Drake. Okay. Steve? Uh, well, I, I don't want to just copy Griff. Uh, look man. up when you say that, like the Brady Bunch. It's okay. Uh, Y'all look down. It's okay. You can do that. Uh, <laughs> Wait, let me go to Halo. Um, yeah, there we go. Uh, how about, okay, okay. Well, well then, then I'll steal it before anyone else does, and I'll say the thing for the oh, film. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. How do we not for miss me, that? For me, the reason, for me, the reason, I know, but, but I'm saying in a different context, so it's totally different. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um, but I, I think, and it is actually something that, that you were talking about, Paul, and that's that it's everything in, in the thing just feels perfect in that every, every reaction that they have to the thing, if in your head, you're thinking the exact same lines. Um, oh, that that moment turns, where he goes, you got to be fucking kidding me when the head gets up and <laughs> yep, walks away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, and then in 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 literature and books, um, I point to Speaks the Nightbird by Robert McCammon. It mm. takes place. Uh, it's turn of the century. It's like 1699. Uh, and it perfectly walks that line of what the question is of what is supernatural and what is superstition right? and it's perfect nice okay declan you get to weigh in next okay um favorite individual property is probably jaws it's standard straight up monster movie with the added element of you can't see the bloody thing until you're it's about to kill you <laughs> and it's almost always omnipresent and darn near omnipotent because again you can't do much if you just see it when it's ready to kill you uh but as far as horror franchises go i don't think anything really beats the original universal monster films of the uh 40s My man. You know, yeah starting with dracula and karloff and lagozi etc and going straight you know okay fine i got a little goofy near the end but uh with everybody beats everybody else and why is John Carradine trying to play Dracula with a Southern accent. But um, aside from that, no, it's almost a perfect series of monster movies. Okay. Tony? I gotta, I'm going to end as I started with... There we go. <laughs> oh, Alien. Cthulhu. No, no, no. no it's Let's Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Oh, it was blurring out. Okay, I can see it now. Nope. Cthulhu. Okay. There it is. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, what now about, we can see it. You know, <laughs> <what about you? laughs> oh, God. Yeah, this, 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 is, this is the Steve Hickman 
uh, statue that that uh, that he did. That he created the statue in order to paint it for the cover of Bain's Cthulhu uh, mythos stories of Robert E. Howard. Um, oh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. So so oh, this is so good. Enduring. Um, uh, just notion that, that Lovecraft uh, implanted that has inspired so many people um, and continues to in, to inspire because um, he's so just freaking scary. Uh. <laughs> All right, Paul, you get, you get to weigh in. What is the, the all-time favorite for you uh, horror property? Well, they've stolen everything, so uh, <laughs> we did it, everyone. We did it. <laughs> video game franchises. I would say Dead Space is my absolute drop dead favorite because it perfectly blends science fiction and horror. And I mean every single drop of horror in every possible way you can imagine. Psychological reality fades away. You got people turning into things. You got stuff where you hear something around the corner. It could just be a can getting knocked around or it could be something getting ready to eat your face. I love that entire series because of the claustrophobia, uh, the fact that you get pinned against the wall. And the only bad part about it is once you, the, the first one rocks your world, the rest of them, you're just kind of like, okay, yeah, that was kind of scary, but I've kind of used to this. The first one though, the first time you encounter all that stuff, it is like watching alien blended with the thing. Only you're the character trying to get the hell out of there. <laughs> And, and it really it really just hits you hard. And it had, it's one of those games where you may have to stop playing on more than one occasion because it is pretty goddamn scary. So there. Uh, yeah. so if I was going to list one, I'd probably go back to Hitchcock's The Bird. I don't know that movie. There's I think it was 63. There's something about that, you know, just whenever you walk outside, you just never know when it was coming for you that did it. Yeah. Uh, and the acting was, was pretty good, too. It's uh, back when they actually pretended to act instead of relied on green screens for everything. Ow. <laughs> Ow. That's only mostly true. <laughs> so what about you, Nick? What is, what is your uh, all-time favorite? I'd say on film, it's the Hellraiser series. Um, okay. And, and part of the book, too, because after I saw the first Hellraiser, I was, like, friends with the metalheads that were into that kind of stuff. And, like, Magnet is my favorite band. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll read it. So I... Uh, I read those books, well, the book, and then I was like, Hellbound Heart. Wait a minute, the Hellbound Heart. I'm like, why the hell is the priest female in this? <laughs> and now I'm super excited because Friday, yep. I get to see my priest. Uh, super stoked. Um, what I love about that franchise is it really touches on the correlation between pleasure and pain. It's very sadomasochist, I guess. I'm giving way too much away to our fans here. Come on, the movie's 37 years old. Yeah, but it's still awesome, and I watch it like at least once a month. I don't if know. If you need a spoiler alert, that. I'm simply saying you have plenty of fucking time. That's all. No, 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 spoiler alert. Spoiler alert on me, like the shit that I'm into. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. I, I, I feel uh, like I said too much there. Uh, oh, jeez. All right, well, and on that happy note. No, hey, no I, got a, I got a literature answer, too, JR. You always complain that I don't read enough because I'm a grunt. <laughs> so I read a book that didn't have pictures in it, finally. <laughs> no, uh, a lot of things from Edgar Allan Poe scared the shit out of me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, not just the classic Raven, which is kind of scary, but he has... He has other stuff going on there. Uh, 
Master of the Red Death, uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue. I mean, there's so much going on with that guy. And what I loved about his writing is that it puts so much information into my brain that my imagination is like, I'm about to jack you up, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come up with some crazy, crazy shit. And it did. And, like, I just, oh, man. Like, and that's what I love about horror. Anything that's going to boil my blood, anything that's going to raise my blood pressure, anything that's going to make me afraid to go to sleep at night because my imagination is going to run wild. Anything that I wake up the next day, two, three days later, and I'm still thinking about aspects of what I had saw or read and still generates fear. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome horror. I, and I, I don't care if it's low budget or high budget. I, I lost an entire summer to Bram Stoker's Dracula. So <laughs> I just. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, holy God, crap. Yeah. 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 That, like, we asked it earlier, like, what is American horror? Um, someone said Lovecraft. And I'm like, I, I disagree. I think it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I think that is classic, true American horror. And I think that's what started most of this stuff. And it started on a dare at a dinner party. Which I think is awesome. Yes. So I would love to have you all for dinner and then create a dare. Yeah. When you say have us for dinner. After the Hannibal Lecter comments. Yeah. Regular dinner, like we're actually going to enjoy food that's not made from people, like maybe carne asada. It was a summer spent in Geneva with her husband and her husband's lover and her. Husband's lover's wife, and you know they, they were in Geneva, <laughs> yeah. Switzerland, uh, enjoying Read themselves. Read about the romantic poets. It was a huge incest fest. It made Fleetwood oh, yeah. Mac look like a you know double date. It just, <laughs> yeah. just don't well, count me in. <laughs> All right, on that happy note. Yeah. <laughs> on that happy note, so uh, we promised you an hour, dear listener, and I promised the guests. You only missed it by a little bit, and if I let them start this can of worms, we'll be here for another two. So instead, I'm going to ask you, panelists. Uh, one, what part two. We might have to. Um, uh, and listeners, you can tell us in the comment section what you think. If you want more, we, we can book another episode. Um, even ask the same guest back if you, if you enjoyed this that much. But uh, what is everyone working on, and how can the listeners and viewers find them? And we'll start with you, Griff. I get started with a lot. Um, you're at the top. <laughs> so I've got uh, uh, a couple of short stories coming out in different anthologies from Bain. Uh, one of which is uh, uh, a, an homage to uh, two of our, our friends or friends of Bane that passed away in the last couple of years uh, and uh, World's Long Lost. And then I just had one come out in uh, uh, No Game for Nights. Uh, and then I've got a short story I am uh, working on for the third noir anthology, which is my fantasy horror uh, with the protagonist being the, the main bad gal, uh, Necromancer. Um, and, uh, that's the second story and that's in that cycle. Uh, I've got a novel I'm working on as well for it. Um, and I'm working on another novel for alternate history for the third and, uh, uh book with Eric Flint that, uh, we were able to plot out before he passed away. So I need to uh, finish that up and get it out there as well. But yeah, a lot of short stories. And, uh, I believe actually, a, um, one of my, uh, co-authored things with Chuck Gannon and Mike Massa. And uh, Casey Azell is actually coming out, uh, or no, Chris Kennedy, I'm sorry, Chris Kennedy is actually coming out with Tony. I'm not sure when that is. I, I'm not sure either. <laughs> got a few things uh, coming up. All right, what about you, Declan? I'm sure you've got 12 books that'll launch before this even airs, but. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, I've got Blue Saint coming out from Tuscany Bay. I've got 
four St. Tommy short stories coming out with Tus from Tuscany Bay. I'm in an anthology called Shoot the Devil, uh, which was originally going to be Punching Demons, but somebody changed it to uh, High Ammunition on me. Um, and that's with John C. Wright, N.R. LaPointe, Jaji Lamplighter Wright, that sort of thing. Um, I'm working on, currently working on getting my fourth space opera written, sorry, published from Tuscany Bay Press. I'm working on self-publishing my vampire romance sequel series. Uh, it's vampire romance if you, you know, don't mind the rocket-propelled grenades, um, which, you know, I, I, I don't do romance. I do blow-em-ups. I don't even do shoot-em-ups. Things just <laughs> blow up. Uh, but I'm on book three of that, currently writing it, and uh, I have two more before I just say screw it and hit the publish publication on all of them. Hold on. Uh, I know that's only five or six books but and a few short stories, but uh, give me time. I'm busy moving. <laughs> fair, fair. All right. And uh, how can listeners find you? You can find me almost anywhere. I'm at DeclanFinn.com, which is a blogger site. I'm on Substack now. Pick a social media platform. I'm probably on it, except for BitChute. I haven't been able to figure out how that works yet. Um, I'm on Amazon for my books and a whole bunch of other platforms now, thankfully. Uh, I've gotten away from Kindle, etc. Uh, we also, I, both, all of my books will soon be available via Bayon.com. Thank you for the reminder. It, they're they're going to be up in a few weeks and or months i forget what the timeline was so and i, I do recommend going through the bay and <laughs> all <Good> right <laughs> so so speaking of the bane we've got steve diamond so uh what are you writing right now what are you working on and how can listeners find you uh well you can always find me on the social medias you know the twitters the facebooks uh the writer dojo is the podcast the writing advice podcast that i host with with my best buddy, uh, Larry Correa. Um, stay tuned. We do, uh, depending on when this airs, there will have either a just aired or about to air an episode with Tony Weisskopf um, that was excellent that we uh, we recorded while we were all down at FenCon. Um, now, as for what I'm writing, uh, I've got a, kind of like Griff, I've got a bunch of short stories coming out. Um, unlike Griff, I turned in my story for the third noir anthology already. Well, so, I mean... I turned it in yesterday, but so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I turned it in already. Uh, so there. The, uh, the, the story, the, that story that I turned in for that one, it's, uh, um, it's my, as I lovingly call, the, the werewolf cop story. So that's my, my supernatural Bosch Um Main main character is a werewolf, obviously. If I wasn't clear, uh, so uh, so I'm I'm working on the novel for that, and then a uh, a little science fiction thingy on the side too, uh, based on a random uh, based on a random comment Tony made at FenCon. So I'm I'm uh -oh. doing a little science fictiony stuff. That's always so, that's always so dangerous. <laughs> I know, I know. So so, uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. And uh, so, Tony, what are, what are you working on? I know you're an editor uh, and you run a, a certain publishing company that maybe people have heard of. But uh, what are you working on right now? Well, the one you're most excited. At, well, that's not fair. You can't pick between no, your children. What are you working right now? We'll, we'll, we'll not qualify it. 
we, we are working on putting together the um, uh, spring 2024 season. Uh, so um, so uh, we're, we're, we're putting together our, our, our list. Uh, January, by the way, um, Griff is when um, Mission Critical is, is coming out. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I love all my babies equally. I love all the books equally. Um, and I am enthusiastic about every single one of my authors in exactly the same way. And, and you're doing really well since you lost your intern, uh, Christopher Rocchio. Nobody's getting your coffee, but you're surviving. We, we, we stumble along without Christopher. Uh, <laughs> so Christopher is uh, has been participating in some of our anthologies as well. Um, so uh, um, if you're looking for more of the Sun Eater series, uh, looking for some of the really cool stuff, very dark stuff, um, uh, look, uh, look, look to Bane anthologies for those too. Christopher and uh, Declan are two guests that I was told by Seska I'm not allowed to interview by myself anymore because we get nerdy about history and the guests go to sleep. The, I mean, the, the listeners go to sleep and they're like, no more of that, JR. We, we're, we're, we've had enough. So, but so I, mean, I, I see nothing wrong with it, Declan. I'm just saying they're uncultured. Crazy. All right. What about you, Paul? What are you writing and um, how can listeners find you? God, what am I writing right now? I have so many works in progress. I'm not even sure who the hell I am anymore. Um, I'm currently working on the last, the final book in the uh, the Black series uh, to finish that that off. Even though it probably won't be published till in the 2023, beginning 2024. I don't remember. Uh, working on that, uh, which means I have to start recording that thing at some point. And then I've got uh, I'm writing two different uh, sci-fi horror books. Uh, for future stuff i i'm 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 once again revisiting suits because station three had a lot of suits everybody's like my suits stories so i'm gonna stick with that for a little while because it's so much fun to watch people in augmented suits get their freaking asses kicked by things that they don't know exist it's just so much fun and uh i guess you can find me the best place to find me is at shadowpublications.com you could probably find me on any of the podcast uh, apps out there. And if you want uh, free serialized fiction, I have a shitload for you. So uh, come to shadowpublications.com. Check me out. So to be clear, his uh, podcast is the Dead Robot Society podcast. It's a writing advice podcast. That's Steve nice. Diamond's podcast is Writer's Dojo, another writing advice podcast. Different angles, but they're both enjoyable if you're interested in that side of the, uh, the pen and paper. Uh, as usual, all the links will be in the show notes, so be sure to scroll down a little bit, read, and, and stalk whoever uh, caught your attention. Try not to eat them, though. That's frowned upon. Griff might have to pay you a visit if you do kill people, and he's he's ready to retire, so don't make him do extra work. Uh, I'm retired. I'm actually retired. Thank you. Allegedly. Oh, outstanding. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> uh, but just, just remember, so Steve, Steve has got the, the pickaxe and the shovel, so we're, as long as we know where Steve is, we, we've got a guy. It's one a lovely collection. You can also I can find me. I didn't, I didn't actually uh, shill for that. It was for the Bain Free Radio Hour. I, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm the host for the Bain Free Radio Hour, uh, and I interview authors uh, on there for uh, for the company. Uh, so <laughs> you're a company man. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you can find us, dear listener, over on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. 
Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. For all the hate mail, please mail Seska at blasters and blades podcast.com. <laughs> she wants to hear from you. Uh, we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, be sure to share them there. We might even care. Uh, if you want to reach out to our guests, we can uh, have questions about what they're working on, et cetera. We can forward those along as well. But again, their links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on our website, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. Uh, we will also uh, soon allegedly have our, uh, our website proper going up. Uh, Seska is recovering from Dragon Con and then football season with her spawn. It happens. Uh, when your kids play sports, but maybe by Halloween some year, we'll we'll have it ready. But the domain is ours, so that's like half the battle, I'm told, for, for the computer types. And then finally, you can support the show more directly on buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber and Doc Seska. I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our nerd love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And if I mess that up, not my fault. I blame Seska. <laughs> <laughs>